0: What I want to do is get started by contrasting two different visions of relational life. One was from uh, 1965, written by Paul Simon, one half of the, at the time, of Simon and Garfunkel. And he wrote this song probably because this is what he was experiencing at the time. Today he's at a very, very different place. But uh, the song was, I am a rock. And it goes like this, I am a rock, I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. Hiding in my room, safe within my womb, I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock, I'm an island. And a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Now, that is one possibility for trying to be human but it's gonna be very, very challenging to go the route because most of us are not islands and certainly we don't feel like we are rocks uh, of humanity. Well, here's another vision and it's by just one line from the poet Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. I know you've heard it. And he basically says, "'It is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all.'" So Tennyson's saying, you know, love and friendship are so valuable, so important, it is worth the risk of losing them to even try to love and to be loved. And of course, C.S. Lewis absolutely agrees with that, and we've heard us mention these words before. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements, lock it up safely. And in that casket, safe and dark, motionless, it will change. It won't be broken, but it will become hard. To love is to be vulnerable. Well, that, I think, is what we all realize. It is a risk to love. To love and to have friends is to be vulnerable, and yet it just continues to be worth the risk. We cannot imagine a life without love. We cannot imagine a life without friendship. And that reason for that is Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, if those words are true, it's not good for any of us to be alone, and I believe that those words are true, then we are facing some trouble today because we are in the words of many writers and researchers. We are in a recession. We are in a friendship recession We are falling behind in our friendships. We are losing our friendships. They are diminishing, they are disappearing. And in fact, not only are we losing our friendships, but we are firing our friends and we are firing our family as well. Some of the new relational advice, I just read an article a couple of weeks ago had this exact title, Stop Firing Your Friends. I mean, we need to stop getting rid of our friends because the the ones remaining are are so few and far and in between that we can't afford to fire and lose anymore. And yet we continue to let our friends go, kind of get rid of our friends, eliminate our friends and family. Now, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Medical science has agreed. uh, uh, Being alone is really, really risky to your health. We know it's risky to our mental, emotional health anxiety, depression, discouragement, all kinds of things are exacerbated when we are alone, but it's even bad for you physically. So here's what the medical research has known for some time, that being alone in a very a very significant, consistent way, you are at high risk for diabetes, weight gain, higher risk for cancer, high blood pressure, stroke, heart disease. Your stress hormones actually rise when you are alone. Your street your sleep patterns deteriorate, and the risk of Alzheimer's and other mental-related declines are all higher when we are dealing with loneliness as time goes on. And some studies suggest that the risk factors of being alone for too long a period of time becomes the equivalent of you and I smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how bad it is for you and I to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone, and yet we are increasingly... So I went and did just a little bit of Googling, looking at uh, stats on friendships and loneliness. And basically, the friendship recession was already in motion before COVID hit, but COVID accelerated and intensified it. So today, we have fewer friends than ever. We spend less time with our friends than we ever did, and we are not as close to those friends we do spend time with. Men are especially at risk in the friendship recession. Men have fewer friends than ever before. Depending upon your population demographic, anywhere from 15% to 30% of us suffer from chronic loneliness. Now, chronic is a medical term that means a sustained, unrelieved, and serious condition. Chronic loneliness. The Scientific American Report says we now have a loneliness epidemic in America. The population group that is at at the highest risk for loneliness are the Gen Zers, 11 to 26. If you're in that age group of 11 to 26, 79% of you report feeling consistently lonely. The next group are the Millennials. Millennials are age 27 to 42. 71% of you report feeling lonely on a regular basis. 20% of Millennials say they have no friends at all, And another 30% say they have friends but no close friends. Now again, all this was starting before COVID, but COVID and the social distancing we experienced, the isolation we experienced, because we didn't know what COVID was gonna do to us physically. We didn't know how dangerous it was physically, and it was, those early strains, they were very dangerous. And so what we did is we made massive corrections to just avoid getting physically sick. And what we didn't realize is the isolation took another toll on us, and we have not recovered from that. We have not made up the ground that we have lost. You know, I'll tell you what else is interesting is, Romantic relationships are on the decline in our culture, and marriage is on the decline. And one more thing I want to just say about friendships, how how we experience them today is they are increasingly what's called transactional in nature. They are consumerist. In other words, if I'm going to have a friend, um, what's in this for me? What have you, my friend, done for me today? What have you done for me lately? And if you haven't done much for me lately, and in fact, if you have annoyed me lately, well, then I'm just going to let you go. I'm going to fire you because I no longer need you. And so that's kind of, that's just like everywhere, transactional friendships. And by the way, we rarely stop to think, well, what have I done for my friend today? We're always thinking, what has my friend done for me? So that's kind of like the current state of a friendship. And God says it is not good for you and I to be alone. Now, Genesis chapter 2 is about many things, but it's about relationships. And I had a lot of different options I could have have gone today. I could have talked about what I'm going to talk about today, and that is this general nature of we need one another and, and we're missing one another deeply. Could have talked about sexuality, it could have talked about biology, it could have talked about marriage, could have talked about family, all those things are there in Genesis chapter two. And what I decided to was talk about the topic that affects every single one of us. It's kind of like the foundational thing, and that is it is not good for us to be alone. Now as we move from chapter one to chapter two in Genesis, you 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 notice a change. It feels different. Chapter one is this major cosmic transcendent God. He's creating the universe and everything in it. And He's this transcendent creator God. It's just beautiful. But then you move to Genesis chapter two and no longer is the language just used of of God, but it's now the Lord God or Yahweh Elohim. The personal God, even though Yahweh is a a term of great respect, it just starts to have a much more personal flavor to Genesis chapter 2. And now instead of the whole universe, it has zoomed in on just a smaller part and it is zoomed into the garden. There are actually 10 verses that describe the geographical historic setting of the garden. Being very, very precise about the details of this garden There's two verses that talk about the two trees in that garden, two special trees. These trees are going to appear in Genesis chapter 3 again, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are seven verses that talk about Adam and Eve and their creation and their relationship. And then there's several more verses that talk about our our theme for next week when Brian Newman is going to talk about our vocation, our calling, our purpose, why we are here. It's just all there in Genesis chapter 2. It is loaded with life, with love, with meaning. And with purpose. Genesis chapter 2 is God's ideal statement. For this is what humanity was meant to be. This is what flourishing in relationships was meant to look like. It is a beautiful ideal. It's so attractive. And yet we no longer live in that particular ideal. Now, when you read the last verse in chapter 2, it says, And Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. So that's the last verse of chapter 2. And then we move to chapter three in the very first verses. Well, now the serpent, that crafty serpent. And you you think that's a big change. And we wonder, well, how long was it between the last verse of chapter two and the first verse of chapter three? We don't know. And the text does not give us any indication. Was it a day? Was it a week until verse one of chapter three happens? Was it a month, a year? could have been many many years. I mean how long did they enjoy Genesis chapter 2 before things went bad? We we just are not told. We we don't know. But here's what we know, in Genesis 3, this beautiful ideal of a flourishing life of love and friendship, it it just it just went so bad, so fast. And now, from Genesis chapter 3 on for the rest of the book of Genesis, we're going to see just how bad it went about this thing called marriage and family and relationships. I mean, every single family mentioned in the book of Genesis is broken in some significant ways. I mean, nothing's working the way it was supposed to work. I mean, husbands and wives, marriages, they're, they're broken and painful. You know, the parents and the children, that's full of, of pain as well. Um, Brothers and sisters, they don't get along. Brothers and brothers are against one another. Extended families, they're broken. I mean, there's not a single relationship, a single family in Genesis seems to be working. And, and that's where we now live. We no longer live in chapter two. We live in chapter three. And maybe you've heard the language of, we now live east of Eden. That was the name of a book by Steinbeck. And really in his book, and most of us are no longer reading that today, but it's a very, very good book. And it's literally a book that where Steinbeck is taking the whole themes of Genesis chapter 3, and he's creating a modern story of two families in particular that are just full of broken, damaged people that are hurting one another. And then later they made a, a, a movie, and James Dean, of course, starred in that movie. And that movie was about two brothers in particular. the story of Cain and Abel who are in hostile relationship with one another. And yeah, so I mean, we now live east of Eden And even though we're going to talk about, you know, Genesis 2, we're going to talk about it no longer living in the garden and enjoying every minute of it. We are going to talk about living outside of the garden and missing the way things were meant to be. But still, we're going to talk about how was it meant to be. And we read in Genesis chapter 2, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground uh, There was no suitable helper for Adam. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, and for yet for Adam no suitable helper was found. I mean, there's animals as wonderful as they were. You know, God paraded on past Adam. Here's one, suitable helper, no. Let's bring the next, suitable. no. I mean, one ear to the other, there were no suitable helpers found for Adam among the animals until finally God brought by dog. And, and I wonder if God's, uh, let me think about this one for a moment. Dog, dog, maybe. Uh, no, even dog is not a suitable helper. By the way, not my Dog. Uh, my neighbors' puppy—they train, they train dogs to become comfort dog service animals—and they brought by the latest puppy. Uh, by the way, in case you're wondering, the cat never even bothered to show up to be considered. <laughs> but there was no suitable helper found for Adam, so he remained, he remained alone. And it's not good. Why is it not good for Adam to be alone? Even even in the Garden of Eden, this this beautiful garden, a delightful environment, Um, just right weather all the time, an excellent job, delicious food, and the relationship with God. And even with all of that, it was not good for Adam to be alone. And you're thinking, but 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 didn't Adam have a relationship with God? Yes, Adam had a relationship with God, and yet it is God Himself, the maker of Adam, who looks and says, It's not good for Adam to be alone. Why? Because there's no suitable helper. But why? It's because Adam is made in the image of God, and God's image is a relational image, because God is Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. Do you know, it is so hard to find good artwork of the Trinity. It's such like an abstract concept, even though it's one of the most important concepts there is. And so here's Rublev's Holy Trinity, which is Father, Son, and Spirit sitting around the table, looking at one another with love, joy, and delight. That is who God is, relational, one God in three persons. And when God, one God in three persons, made Adam in in his own image, he said, let let us make God in our image, in our likeness. Us, our, our. Now, by the way, the ancient Hebrews did not consider that to be a trinity. The ancient Hebrews looked at that language and just said that was God talking with this, what's called the plural majestic. You know, like if you would have heard the old, of, old Queen of England, every now and then she would say, well, we decree... And she was like speaking for royalty. She was speaking with the plural majesty to give even more weight and importance to what is being said. That's what's going on here. It's the royal majesty. But Christians later, we realize that this is already one of those foreshadowings of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, God in relationship. Adam was created as a relational being. That's why it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Do you know one of the worst punishments you could ever, ever experience in life is solitary confinement? It's it's one of the worst things you can do to a human being. It's why it's one of the the last punishments required for those who are in prison if they just keep on doing more. I mean, solitary confinement. It is horrific what it does. Did any of you see the movie now? It's a number of years old. And if you haven't seen it lately, it's worth watching again. Tom Hanks, Castaway. And he's he's there by himself on this island in the middle of nowhere. And, and he is so desperate for human companionship. That he's going crazy. And so he winds up finding a volleyball and the volleyball is Wilson, a Wilson volleyball. And he calls it Wilson and he paints a face and tries to make this volleyball look as human as he possibly can because he is desperate for companionship. He tries to make a facsimile of a person just so he can have somebody to talk to because he will be alone for so long on that island and it's not good for anybody to ever be alone. And finally, he will take the ultimate risk. It is almost impossible to get off that island and decide even getting out there, but then much less casting yourself out into the ocean. And Tom Hanks decides he is not a rock, he is not an island, and it's better to try once again for the attempt to be loved rather than not have love for the rest of his life. He would rather die and I'll, I'll take the risk, I'll take the chance. That is how much I need love and friendship. It's not good for you and I, for anyone to be Alone. And yet, alone we are. And we keep firing our friends. We keep firing our family. And that's some of the new relational uh, advice. you Just stop firing your family. You know, many years ago, decades ago, we talked about toxic, dysfunctional people. They were the words that were used then, and we would wind up building these, these boundaries, these walls. In fact, there were books called Boundaries to keep these toxic, dysfunctional people from hurting us. And yeah, we still need to have some proper boundaries, but, but now, you know, the, the new relational advice is just stop firing your friends and we just keep on firing our friends. I've, I've fired friends. I'm not proud of that. Uh, but I did. And I imagine most of you have fired along the way some of your friends. But here's what I'm even more sure of. I, I'm sure every single one of you has been fired by some of your friends. They just no longer want to be around you. You, you were thinking differently. You're believing differently on all kinds of issues, and they just said, "You know what? If that's what you think, I I no longer want to be around you." You got fired. Man, does that ever hurt? I've, i I've been fired as a friend. It hurts. And if family hurts. If friends hurt, family hurts even more. Now, I'm very fortunate. I have never fired any family and I haven't been fired by family. We get along reasonably well. In fact, sometimes our family seems to get along very, very well. But I tell you what, I have talked to so many people that they have have fired family members and they have been fired. And that hurts so bad, I can't even describe it. And I know there's a lot of you here that you've been fired by family. Just a few weeks ago, I was talking to a man. He said, you know, I, I don't even talk to my family anymore. I don't want to talk to them. And to be honest, I, I, I'm i pretty sure they don't want me around anymore. I, I mean, just some of the beliefs that became so painful to talk about that they couldn't even stand being considered family anymore. I mean, that hurts so much. For, for you and I to be human, this is how God created us. To be human is to... to, to to need and want, love, acceptance, affirmation. We we need and we want support and help. We, We need and we want to be needed, wanted and valued and considered significant. I mean, we need all those things. You need all those things. And let me tell you, there is nothing at all wrong with you that you need every one of those things right here, right now. There is not a thing wrong with you that you have all those needs. In fact, it just shows there's a lot of things right with you because you've been designed to need those things. You're a human being. It's not good to be alone. Now, unfortunately what happens, Genesis 3 happens and all of the stuff we've been talking about. And so all of these genuine needs that we have, uh, they start to get bent and twisted and broken and messy. Boy, you know, you, you get rejected a couple times and you just don't know if you can take it anymore. Uh, you're you're dealing with people's betrayal they you know you trusted yourself to them and they betrayed you you open yourself to them you're vulnerable and they took advantage of you Um, I mean boy that happens a couple times and we get really gunshot we get skittish we don't you know we don't we don't know if we want to do this relationship thing any longer and uh, but on the other hand, you know, it's like, we, we can't live without love. We can't live without friends. And so we keep on tentatively putting ourselves back in there. But, you know, we, we start to get injured and wounded and broken. And we begin to have these self-doubts. And we think, well, what's wrong with me? And we, we start to live with this condemnation. I'm just not good enough because of what we've been through. And it just makes relationships even riskier and harder. And yet we still want them so very, very much. It's not good for us ever to be alone. And God never wanted us to be alone. And there's a particular phrase that is just simply beautiful for what God's ideal was designed to be. In Genesis, God says, You need a suitable helper. Phrase is used two times in Genesis 2, nowhere else in the Old Testament. This is unique. So we read in verse 18, which we've already said a few times I will make a helper suitable for Adam. And then in verses 20 to 22, after bringing all the animals by, no suitable helper was found for Adam. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, a very good translation. In fact, you'll see it at the bottom of your, your Bible and your study notes where you could actually say, took a part of the man's side, closed the place up with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib or the part he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. I'm sure you've heard that, but you know, like the side of the man, you know, God, God took Eve from the side of the man, not from his head to be above him, not from his feet to be below him, but from his side to be right there next to him, equal with him, a part of him. But the phrase I'm most interested in is suitable helper. It is delightful. It is wonderful. And it is so rich that our English translations usually miss some of the depth that is there. So there's two words, suitable and helper. Let's talk about the word helper first. The word in Hebrew is ezer, ezer. Just means help or a version of that helper. So when you and I think about help, ezer, what comes to mind? What kind of person comes to mind who will help us? Well, sometimes we might look at that as, well, the help is a bit of a, a lower stature, um, maybe a subordinate, somebody maybe, I, I'm just going just gonna to be, Frank, you know, maybe somebody that we consider a little beneath us or doing things that are beneath us, things that we don't want to do, but, you know, a little lower, a little weaker. Now, sometimes we, in English, use the word help, and the help is very, very kind of equal. We are peers. We are partners. We're together. You know, we're, we're, we're equal in this. We just, one of us can't do it. We need two people to do it, so it's kind of an equal. And then there are times when we use the word help where we are actually talking about somebody who is stronger and better and more, more capacity than you and I. So, in fact, if, you know, if you ever go to college and you're in college and you're struggling with a particular topic and, you know, you're going to go and say, Hey, I'm really, I'm, I'm struggling with biology right now. And they'll get you a, a tutor in biology to help you learn biology. The tutor is your helper, a helper that is better, stronger, wiser, more advanced. They can help you get to where you need to get. The word help can have all those meanings in English. Well, what does it have here in Genesis chapter 2? Is it help lower equal higher? Is it help weaker equal stronger? What's the meaning here? Well, you know where this is going because a lot of times we have just kind of assumed the help that God is going to make is going to be like a little bit lower, a little bit weaker. And do you know in the Hebrew, ezer never has that that connotation. In fact, most of the times the word help is used, uh, ezer... It is used as somebody who is stronger because it's being used to talk about God. God is our helper. God is the one who helps Israel. God is the one who helps his people in need. Um, In in Exodus, Moses has a couple boys, and one of them, uh, the one was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Eliezer literally means, My God is helper. We read in, uh, in Deuteronomy, there's no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper. He is your ezer. He is the one who is mighty to help you, the one who can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. In the Psalms, we at times we read, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does my rescue? Where does my strength, where does my power come from? It comes from the Lord. Man, I tell you what. When you're looking at the word "Ezer" uh, throughout, throughout the Old Testament, and you're looking at it right here, uh, it, it 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 is absolutely not meaning somebody who's lower or weaker, not even in the slightest. And in the context, this, this is what we understand: it is somebody who is equal, somebody's right there alongside of you. Now, how we know that is because there's the word "suitable," and that is a very very interesting Hebrew word, ke negedo. Ke negedo. It's two words, "ke'." which just means like or as or according to. And now it almost kind of gets super redundant. It's almost like you're getting repetition because neged means, means like a, a complementary counterpart, a, a, co- a corresponding partner, partner, counterpart. One scholar says counter-partner would be one of the best ways that you could translate kenegedo. So now we have this kenegedo ezer, this Strong, equal partner. That's what Adam needed, a strong, equal partner. And that's what Eve was. And Eve discovered that Adam would be her strong, equal partner. And together they would do things that they could not ever have done alone. As strong, equal partner's. And that's what we're meant to be, all of us, all the time. In just about every relationship you can imagine, strong, equal partners. And of course, when Adam saw what God had created, he wound up saying, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. You know, Genesis chapter one, just God says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And the other time he says, it's not good, is when Adam's alone. But now that Adam and Eve are together, oh, it is so very good. But we live east of Eden, and it's hard to be these strong, equal partners, because as we're gonna find in Genesis 3, between strong, equal partners, whether it's in a marriage, or friendships, or in work, or wherever, we have conflict, we have tension, we have struggle, we don't get along, and, and so therefore, For Jesus has come. Jesus is, well, we lift our eyes to the heavens. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from God, the Father Almighty, and Jesus Christ His only Son, our Lord, who came. Jesus was the strong helper, the strong helper who wound up making himself a servant, the strong helper who in love, humility, and gentleness sacrificed himself so that you and I could be restored back to what we are meant to be. Strong, equal helpers, learning how to be that with one another in all these many beautiful, diverse relationships. And yet, because we live in Genesis 3, these strong, equal partners all throughout the New Testament are told, hey, you strong, equal partners, you're going to have to be forbearing with one another because you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to have to be very patient with one another because it takes a while to become strong, equal partners You're going to have to forgive one another, you strong, equal partners, because sometimes you're going to do some bad stuff to one another. Hey, you strong, equal partners, you have to consider the needs of the other person as more important than your own. Don't be asking, hey, what has my strong, equal partner done for me lately? Be asking, what what have I done for my strong, equal partner? What can I be doing for this person? You know, if we start to get that figured out, I guarantee you, every single relationship you're in will begin to flourish. I absolutely promise because that's what God has intended from the very beginning. Hey, we're going to finish up with a little bit of worship. We have some songs that are going to help us consider uh, our God, His purposes. You know, we live in a beautiful earth, beautiful garden, beautiful places, and we are meant to be living in beautiful relationships full of love and tenderness and joy. Family, friends, brothers and sisters, let's just really draw close to God uh, with our hearts.